Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Molly Carmichael with Zonda's Inspirational Leadership Series, joined by the industry's best in the real estate industry. These leaders have a huge responsibility as they are designing the future of our communities for many generations to come. This series is about who they are, what it takes to lead, and their journey to the top. So let's get started. Today, we are joined with Brent Harrington, the President and Chief Executive Officer for DMB Development. He and his team have planned arguably, I think, some of the best master plans in the country, like DC Ranch, Silverleaf, Barado, and there's so many more and a lot more coming, including the upcoming master plan that the team has been working on with Disney in the Rancho Mirage area of California, which really brings Brent full circle working with Disney early on in his career as well. I don't want to share too much, and Brent's here to talk with us, so let's get started and hear with Brent himself. Please join me in welcoming Brent Harrington. Brent, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, we're going to start out with just the real, uh, the simplest question of all, which is, you know, tell us about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and, and what is your job? Uh, well, so that could be a short answer or a long answer. I'll, I'll start with the short one. Um, so my role is to lead our organization forward. And our company is in the business of developing very large scale planned communities, some of which are, um, you might think of as, you know, very luxurious, very fancy, um, you know, primary housing, second homes. And others are, are, I guess, what I would call upper middle market master plan communities. But the point is, that's what we do as an organization. And it's a little bit different than, say, uh, a home building company that on any given day may have hundreds of business units firing in multiple locations. Ours is concentrated in a relatively small number of very big projects. And um, what that means to me is that I am able to be very close to the projects. I'm, I'm able to be personally engaged in um, not only the strategy and leadership of our organization, but also the, the strategy and direction setting for the individual projects. Let's talk about you kind of growing up. Where did you grow up? And tell sure. us a little bit about sort of what led you into home building, but first kind of you just as you know, where you started. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm i a native Texan. And so I'm, I'm part? Uh, from Houston. Oh, nice. But so I'm a fifth generation Texan. And our family is a farming and ranching family in East Texas, like near Tyler, Texas, if you know where that is. Yes, yes. And, um, and so my father was the very first to leave the, the farm and go to the city, um, go to college, get a, a job away from the farm. Um, and so I always remind myself, however, you know, worldly and sophisticated I might think of myself, I am literally one generation away from poor dirt farmers in Texas. So um, very different, yes. Yeah. So, but anyway, so because my, my dad left the farm and moved to Houston and uh, he was an executive with Exxon. And uh, so growing up, I'm so grateful that 
he made it his job to make the family's farm important in our lives. And so we spent so many summers and weekends and things working on the farm, spending time on the farm, hunting and fishing on the farm. And, um, and it's kind of a, a, a ranch slash farm, you know, we had all, all that stuff. And um, so, yeah, but so that, that's kind of for me where it began. And um, so did you go back as a family to visit the farm or how did that work? Yeah. So, you know, what would happen, it was only about a little more than two hours away by car. And so uh -huh. we would um, more weekends than not, you know, it's kind of at the end of the work week, we'd just get in the car and off we'd go and we'd <laughs> end up having a late dinner on Friday at the farm and we'd come back on Sunday evening. And um, so it was just, you know, there was always work to do and, you know, uh, so yeah. You know what I find fascinating is, you know, those things when you grow up as, as a young person, and I'm sure this was the case for your father, the thing he really wanted to get away from was the thing he wanted to instill in his children and make sure you didn't miss those core values that he was given. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's very true. That That is absolutely what he was uh, thinking about. He saw, you know, you think about those years, you know, kind of growing up in the 70s and, uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And my dad really just wanted to know that his kids had kind of one foot planted in, in our longstanding family um, in, in Texas and, and the other foot in this new, very strange and confusing world <laughs> we were all living through in the, in the 70s in a big city. Um, but it was great. You know, I'm so grateful that he did that for us. I bet that is, uh, I bet you that really has a nice influence in what you do in placemaking. I, that's, that's pretty, I, I love hearing that story. That, that tells me a lot because um, it gives you a wide range of experiences. And I think that's so important for all of us. Tell me kind of going back very, I'm going to say in the, in your, your young Brent Harrington days, sure. what were, what did you want to be as a, as a kid kind of growing up? You, you have these two major influences. You have your father who's an executive and at the same time he's introducing you and making sure you're getting these homegrown experiences on the farm. But with all of that, you know, involved in your life, what did you want to be as you were looking forward? Yeah. So the, the honest truth is I was, one of those kids who just, I had no idea. I, and, I, and I mean that in the sense that um, I had a, a fun, you know, very full life as a child, as a teenager, as a high school student, you know, I was involved in all kinds of things, but the idea of a job and what I wanted to do every time someone would ask, it's like, oh God, I, I don't know. It all sounds so awful. And I went to school at Texas State and was an undeclared major. And you know, you reach that point where you can't be that anymore. You, you have to <laughs> right. declare. And I had no idea. I was no closer by that point uh, than I had been when I was like a junior in high school. I just said, it all just sounded like somebody else and not like me. And so um, the, the, my, I reasoned that the closest thing 
I could do to being an undeclared major was to major in business, um, you know, because it, it, it says, you know, you can just kind of be prepared for like whatever and you'll figure it out. Anyway, but the interesting thing that happened is so my dad was watching me just continue to drift and he mentioned to me that there was this program um, at Exxon where you could get a job and they kind of used this pool of young people that they would hire every year um, is kind of a, it's, it's like the, uh, oh, you know, the reserves where uh, they get a chance to plug you in in different roles, see where your sure. skills are, you know, that kind of thing. But they, interestingly, they used it. Almost like an internship or? It, it was a little like that, except that it was, uh, they used it to cover, gosh, think of, uh, pregnancy leaves or mm. unexpected illness and now there's a gap you know where, sure. where we need to slot somebody in there like for temporary support kind of so, so yeah and so so that it was wise of my dad to kind of point to that because it it did exactly what he thought it would it, it let me experience a bunch of different things but um it all came to a very important crossroads when they sent me it was only for a few days, believe it or not, but but to Friendswood Development, which was Exxon's huge master plan community development company. And it was uh, it, it was if you know the history of Houston, it, it was Kingwood. Oh, yes. And Clear Lake and Friendswood and sure. all those monster master plan communities that that Exxon um, developed back. I know them the, well. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so, you know, they sent me there and I'll, I'll spare you the long explanation, but I, I just, I got there and couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe, like, I remember the first day that I was sent to this office and I didn't really know what they even did or what I was expected to do. I just had a piece of paper in my hand to say I was assigned to come here. And I walk in and I hear voices down at the end of a hall at the, all the offices are empty. And so I'm just following the sound, you know, trying to figure out where everyone is. And um, I get to where I can see in the door and it's what we would today call a war room. You know, it's a big oh, yes. yeah. conference room. It's the walls are covered with, you know, drawings and engineering maps and all kinds of things. And they're all around a table arguing about whatever it was it, actually one of the things I remember that day they were arguing about where the elementary school should go the new elementary school should go and so you had these kind of grumpy guys who are saying those things they generate noise they pay nothing for land they generate traffic let's put it over at the edge it's just the uh, education for our kids no big deal <laughs> yeah well that was the thing and then there's these other voices that are like are you kidding me do you know what an elementary school means to a neighborhood? It, like, you know, it's the foundation just, of our youth, you know, just that. Right. Yeah. And so I'm just taking all this in and it's like, I didn't know that people talk about these things and make these decisions, but of course they do. But I, you know, and that was it. I was absolutely smitten. It, it's like, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, I had no training for it, you know, so it was. Did you put your, did you give your input that day? Did you say? No, like, no, no, no. I, all I, I was just, my eyes were big as saucers, just taking in all the 
stuff. And, you know, and I, like I was picking up on, if you think of one of those meetings, there's the, you know, the grumpy finance guy, there's the engineer, there's the architect, there's the land planners, there, you know, right. All the, there's the right, leasing right. guy. And, um, and so I'm just trying to assimilate like what, like how do they play together? Yeah. And what, like where they're coming from, like, why is he saying that? And it's like, Oh, okay. He's like a design guy. Okay. Now. Okay. That makes sense. But anyway, so no, I, I contributed a grand total of zero, but um, just soaked up every word of the conversation like a sponge and got a chance to sit and visit with people in the subsequent few days and just learn more about what they do. And like I say, that was it. And um, so that, that was the moment that put me on this path. That's so. cool. If you were to give that young Brent Harrington any advice today and you were the you know the person who's kind of guiding the master plan stuff what would you say to that person kind of entering the room and starting out well the first thing I would offer is that that I believed it that day and I believe it till this very day that that the the business of, of planning communities is is the the greatest, most fun, most meaningful, most legacy oriented thing that a person can do. I think it is just deeply impactful and it affects thousands of families' lives. And it's not just the current generation of buyers that will outlive us, the things we create in community development. Um, and I so- I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, it's powerful, isn't it's, it? It is, I, I just feel blessed to be a part of it. Yeah, and so, so, so the, the thing to me, this is kind of, kind of a self-serving answer, I suppose, in some ways, but <laughs> I, I don't, I would encourage people, if, if you're not feeling it in your gut, in the more or less in the way I described it, if you're not passionate about this after, you know, experiencing a little bit of it, go do something else. You know, if, if, if you're feeling it, if it's a calling, uh, my God, clear the decks, do, do whatever you have to do to, to get in the business. And if you're not feeling it, go find something else to do. I agree. Life's too short. I totally agree. So Brent, as you look back in your career, what were sort of the key turning points in your career um, that sort of led you to where you're at today? I guess I would say one of the one of the big ones is I observed early on that because it requires this uh, group of, of specialists to all come together and work in concert that it's very easy for people to talk past one another. So in other words, it wasn't uncommon to see the frustration when say the, the business guy who's running the pro forma for a project is frustrated with the guy, with the architect or with the land planner saying, look, you know, I realized that would be really cool to do that but it doesn't work. It doesn't work financially. So it's, it's academic, you know, what you're doing right now. I've had that happen once or twice. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or, or the, again, the, the, the architect and the engineer, you know, speaking right, right past one another. And, right. um, and, and so it goes, I mean, and it'd be the same, the, the marketing and sales perspective is sometimes very much at odds with the the high principles of an urban designer, you know, who's all about purity, where the marketing and sales guys are trying to speak for the customer. And, um, 
And so what I did, and I think proved to be helpful, is I just, in recognizing that that's the nature of this business, I began to be a reader. And I, I would make it my mission to, I wanted to read all the, the, the pivotal things that architects and urban designers and land planners and landscape architects are reading so that when they would throw out a comp or they would use a, an obscure reference to, uh, you know, some designer from the past, you know, um, that I knew what they're talking about. Sure. And, and I likewise, I, I would kind of lean into my own weak spots. Like I knew, like I tend to gravitate, frankly, to the more creative and experiential uh, parts of the business. But that runs the risk of leaving a, you know, kind of a blind spot on the, the business or the engineering or the construction side, or even on the entitlement side, which is a whole arcane world of its own. Oh, for sure. And so I just worked really hard in the maybe the first 10 or 15 years of my career to broaden so that I, I, I didn't talk past anybody. I, I could, so if, if I'm on a creative rant, but I'm hearing some pushback from a, an engineer or business person, whatever it is, I understood. It's like, okay, I get it. Thank you. I, I, I understand why you're saying what you're saying. I take your point, you know, and so you can um, hopefully, you know, move things along and, and be a more capable orchestrator of all these different talents, if at least you know a little bit about what those people do and how they think or, or what influenced them in their thinking. So, you know, I think it's really important. And, and I, I look today as I think of all the, the high potential people that we see, you know, coming through the organization, um, that's kind of a dividing line for me. There, there are people who are really all about being the very, very best specialist in their chosen field, and that's their highest aspiration. And it's fine. That's fine. We need that. Sure. But the, the guys or, or people who I really have my eye on are the ones who uh, take a fuller view of this business and, and are passionate about learning as much as they can from every discipline. So, you know, that, again, I don't know if that's the right answer for everyone, but that that's what worked for me. You know, is there, do you have an artistic side in your background? Do you just hire more talented people? Like, how do you achieve that? And, you know, I, I mean, as you mentioned, there's a lot of disciplines involved and sometimes you have this mix of, hey, I want to get to a great place, but we still have to make money. How do you balance that? And is, do you have an art background or any of that? Or how do you balance all of that together? Well, I definitely don't have any, um, you know, artistic training, certainly no training as an architect or designer, anything like that. Um, and having said that, again, from the very earliest beginnings in this business, I have found myself drawn there. Um, the, the thing that I can say universally is that we, we, we think about projects from the perspective of people first. So it's not, um, you know, some, some companies are very uh, transactional in their approach. They, so they see a piece of land, 
the conversation quickly turns to what it, like what's its best and highest value from a financial perspective. And then how could you, if that's the best highest value, how could you design the absolute most profitable project of that category? And if you can convince yourself there's sufficient demand for it, then you know you build that, but it, but you're coming from a perspective of metrics and, and financial opportunity and, um, and it'd be absurd to suggest that, that, that we don't care about those things because of course we right. do. Um, but having said that, our, what we do is we go fall in love with a piece of real estate. And if we can't fall in love with it, we don't wanna work on it. Life's too short. We do big projects. Every one of them is you know, a decade or two decades long from start to finish. And so if we're not feeling it, we don't wanna do it. And so we fall in love with land. And then from that moment, our thinking is about how do you create the most wonderful, you know, compelling, magnetic place of this? So that's, that's kind of our North Star as a company that, that we, we're looking at land, we're, we're trying to understand the, the region, the locality that we're working with. What's, I mean, we, we always say when we look at land, you know, let's fall in love with the land, but you also better fall in love with what's around that land. See it with love in your eyes, the way the locals, you go talk to locals and, and you know, hey, do you guys like it? Oh, I love it here. Really? What do you, what do you what love? What do it? you love about it? <laughs> yeah, and they'll start, they start telling all kinds of fascinating things. So, you know, it's like, yeah, nobody really realizes it, but we've got this, we've got that. And oh my gosh, people are so nice here. And so it it's a, it, it's our job as developers to kind of fall in love with, with the, the place that you're going to now design a community to become part of and, and connect to that and, and have your community benefit from all of the good things that, that were there before you arrived. And, um, but anyway, that, that kind of, of people-centered approach has been... Um, <laughs> In, intensely profitable for us. You know, I have I have so many DMB favorites. It's hard to pick my favorite, um, but each of them is very unique to its place, which is everything that you're saying. Um, you guys are working on several new master plans right now, one of which is very noteworthy, at least we're, we're hearing a lot about it. Uh, can you share anything about that and what you're doing out in the desert, uh, Rancher Mirage? Oh yeah, no, sure. Um, so, so that one is a, a fascinating project. It's, it's the, before it's anything else, it's really kind of the ultimate infill site. So, so DMB for a long time has been very interested in, in infill and, and I, I won't go on. It's and so on hard to, that, to find infill in a master plan kind of way, but you're that, right. That's it. That's it. Right. That's right. it. And so, so we, we get energized on the subject of infill and how cool it would be but it is so very difficult to find infill projects that you can do at scale and, and DMB works at scale. So, so this site is really the crown jewels of the, the greater Palm Springs area. It's the geographic center. It is bounded on all sides by built out developments. Um, it's in, you know, I, it's in Rancho Mirage, which is really- AAA location. Um, yeah, great location, a very, very affluent uh, area of the valley, lots of cool stuff there. 
And so anyway, so we, we began working on that site with just tremendous enthusiasm. We just almost couldn't believe it. I remember saying to our people that, um, that this site, the fact that it's sitting here empty violates gravity. There, there's no way that this could have happened unless there were some story and there was one. And so anyway, again, I'll, I'll save you all of that. But so, so we were just pinching ourselves that we have this site to work on. And so we started down the path of planning the project and um, kind of coinciding with that, we DMB and the Disney company began conversations about collaborating on um, projects and the Disney. And did that just team, come out randomly, Brent, or like how did that come out? Well, I think the way it I would out? describe did they seek it, it out or? Yeah, no, I mean they reached out to us, but but it was. Um, so, you know, I'll let them some other day give the, a fuller uh, explanation of all this, but, but the sh very shorthand version is that they internally um, settled upon this notion that um, there's a real opportunity for Disney. And if, if you realize the, the scope of, of what that organization has, so we all think of, of course, things like the theme parks or uh, their animated films and those kinds of things. But, you know, they own ESPN. They own National Geographic. Right. They, uh, they, they own ABC. They, they you know, their, their movie making portfolio runs the gamut. You know, it's not all G-rated animation. It's, you know, award-winning uh, movies across all the different genres. And um, so anyway, it's a, a stunning organization in terms of what they have to offer. And they realized that the business of community development was one where there was just a, a fascinating uh, potential to, to add value as an organization to, to, to deliver a lifestyle experience that uh, goes beyond really what they saw anyone else doing. And just uh, coincidentally, 25 years earlier, I had been uh, part of the Celebration Florida uh, community in Florida, which was Disney's uh, first and actually their only large-scale planned community. Interesting. So, you, so you, you worked on that back in the day? I did. So I, okay. I was the, the, the original... Uh, town manager for the town of Celebration, Florida. Nice. So we we opened that in 1996, and um, so you know I kind of had that kind of background with the company, and sure. so when we talked about their interest in this whole new vision of community development, I was you know highly receptive because I I I could just I'll get bet. it. I could see where this was going to go. On the first phone call, when they, they very first contacted me, I was thinking, oh, of course they know I worked on Celebration. And they, they, they didn't. The, oh, the I talking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it was, that was a long time ago. And, uh, and of course, by the time we hung up, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, so the, the guy I was talking to had actually, as a very young uh, financial analyst, had done some of the original pro forma spreadsheets for that project. But our paths really never crossed. So... 
so anyway, I, I think if I had to, um, you know, offer attribution to anyone, I'd offer it to our chairman, Drew Brown, because in reality, if you, if you look at the whole track record of the company, so much of what we did in, in the, you know, the bulk of our, uh, of our history as a company was really led by Drew and his, his vision and his values, which, you know, as you can gather, very much colored my own vision and values. But, but Disney reaching out to us is really driven by our, our track record. And it was sure. just almost a, a lucky circumstance that I had history with the company. That's pretty neat. Is, can you give us any sort of um, <clears throat> previews on what's to come, like key ingredients on what's to come out there? I mean, I sort of know, but just would love to sure. hear some of that. Yeah. For the yeah audience. So um, just, I, I can give you some top line stuff. Sure. Um, so it is, uh, it's a, uh, a, a, a gated community. The, the price points are uh, pretty high, you know, has absolutely spectacular amenities, private club, all that kind of stuff. But um, our hope is that it is known best for the extent to which it welcomes everybody. And so the, you know, inclusive with a capital I that, that um, the, the basic premise of this concept goes to the idea that um, there's something very interesting that happens for people when they reach the stage of life that let's say for those with families that might coincide with the empty nester years. And it's only then in those later years where you're, you still have the, the energy and the health and the time and the uh, kind of window of opportunity to pull some of those things from the back burner to the front burner. Um, and so we started thinking about a community that's about that. It's about that. And it's about inviting people who uh, are young at heart, share that passion, have things they want to accomplish, but are also want to be part of a community where, where they're enthusiastically supporting others in, in pursuing their deal, you know, whatever their deal is. And it could be entrepreneurial, it, it could be uh, artistic, it could be who knows, it could be philanthropic. I mean, who knows? But it's, it's about that orientation to life. And when, when the Disney guys started kind of laying that out to me, I just, my heart melted. It, it's like, yes, yes. It sounds like Disneyland for adults. <laughs> yeah, but again, but I just love that it's, if you think about it, Molly, what it could have been is just um, empty calorie, just, oh, right. you know, they could have packed it with all kinds of extra amenities and, you know, and it's like, right. oh, we have more amenities than the next community and, and that kind of thing. And here it, it's a deeper, more meaningful uh, you know, kind of, of aspiration. And, and that really got me. It's, it's like, yes, more of that, please. That, that is really cool. And I want to be part of it. So, Ugh, I can't wait. Uh, so when yeah, is, so that, that's where we're going. When is that open? Um, it'll be, you'll, you'll start to see uh, probably the very earliest, um, call it pre-sales in maybe the 
between a year and a year and a half. That's exciting. So we're, we're out there, you know, grading lots as we speak. So, so it's coming. That's exciting. Well, well, I, we have a, both the industry and consumers listening to this. So that'll be, that'll be neat to see as it comes up. I can't wait. Okay. So I'm going to do a quick round of questions with you. Uh, just very simply tell me your favorite sport. Oh, you know, I guess it's um, at a personal level, it's golf. Um, the, the sport I love to watch the most is basketball. Nice. What's your uh, favorite pastime? What do you love to do when you're not doing this? Um, photography. Really? Yeah. Do you do your own photography or admire others? No, I do. I do my own. And, and um, yeah, it's one of those things that <laughs> where, you know, work and personal stuff blend together. But I found early in my career that I was like the worst person on earth to go on vacation with because <laughs> like my wife and kids everywhere we went, I'm just I'm see, I'm looking for comps. I'm seeing, oh my God, that's the coolest doorway I've ever seen. I have to document that, or I'd bring a tape measure, and I, you know, this field, this this urban scene feels so perfect. I need to know how many feet it is from the front of the building to the back of curbs because whatever this is is perfect. You know, so I was constantly doing that, and uh, it Hilarious. it led to just kind of loving the interplay of, of um, you know, nature and uh, architecture and light and uh, people. And so anyway, I, I, I love, love, love photography. That's awesome. And you said you didn't have an, an artistic background. I'm, I'm taking that back from you. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite place to visit? Um, well, so my favorite city without question is Paris. And, and uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time there. And, uh, but I would say that my wife and I have settled into a pattern where we like to take two important trips a year, important trips. And when we do, we alternate between, um, you know, just uh, uh, indulgence and decadence and just going, you know, like going to like our last one, we were in Monaco and Provence and, and just nice. absolutely awesome, you know, five on that one trip, five Michelin three-star restaurants, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then we'll turn around and the next trip is, is more about discovery and adventure and places we've not been and uh, kind of pushing our own comfort zone a little bit. And so- um, That's interesting. Key ingredients for leadership. What do you think are the key ingredients to your leadership? And, and what do you think has been sort of the what I would call the foundation or principles that you believe in most uh, that have been most successful for you? So for me, leadership of, of this organization begins with working on things that, that, that I and we are passionate about. Absolutely. Um, because if you, if you see what that does to an organization that very quickly, you know, people, if you join the DMV organization, and, and you're just inspired by what's happening and you're inspired by the people that you're working with because they're inspired by what we're working on and, and the direction of the organization is apparent no matter what your job is. You, everybody is working, you know, kind of down one path to create something really special. It's more than like a casual commitment on our part that we're, we're not, we're just not going to, to take on a project that like, 
my gosh, you, you could make a ton of money on that one. You know, you could buy that one and zip, 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 cut it up and sell bulk parcels and, you know, make millions. And it, we're just not going to do it. That lets somebody else do that. Well, so I'm going to share a couple of things about you that I've observed um, in my experience with you that I don't know that you realize you do it naturally, but I think you're a uh, first and foremost, a really good listener. Um, anything you don't know, you'll get people on that. You'll be on that. Your whole team will figure out what those things are that you need to know and do better. And I mean, I see that constantly from your team. And then the last one I think that you're brilliant at is facilitating groups of people and, and literally listening, getting them all involved. And, and I think it takes a certain kind of talent as much as you believe that site is so excited, so exciting to be passionate about, I think you have to have the right vision and lead that vision to get people to realize they can have an impact too. And, and that's an amazing gift. So, um, but you're very modest in your answer. So um, I think that's, a, that's such an important factor to let people know in the room, they can make a difference too, right? I mean, uh, that so is the key. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, for me, when I think about that facilitation that's so important to our business, it's all rooted in, in a very genuine belief that we will fail if we don't hear from everybody. Right. Be right. Because, it, as I said, this business is, is a, uh, you know, it, it's the harmonious kind of orchestration of all these different perspectives and talents and whatever and without any one of them you just do the thought experiment if any one of those disciplines or perspectives just is either missing or is under underrepresented under listened to in the process the project is at great risk or underprepared so, right and so so for me it's no kidding we we've got to hear from everyone and those rooms, you know, can be um, intimidating, you know, not certainly meaning for it to, but I mean, it, when you find yourself in a room with a lot of really smart people and opinionated people and words are flying and, you know, it, it sometimes it, it, it takes a little bit of gumption to just, just stick your chin out, you know, and say what's on your mind. And so I try to watch for that person who we're not hearing much from and just create a really great moment for them, you know, to, I can see you're thinking about something and I really want to hear what it is, you know, that kind of thing. That's awesome. So. You know, and, and you led us to uh, the, the last part of, I think, great leadership, which is, is the reading part of it, you know, learn the all disciplines and really try to understand um, research, 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 you know, I think that's so huge. Yeah. Um, we talked about DMB and all the stuff that you guys are doing. That's so great. Tell me your favorite thing about your job. Um, it's the diversity of it every day. And so, um, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this because we're both in this industry, but it's just, so I come to work, I'll have in mind what my day might be like, but the reality is I don't know what the next phone call will bring, what the next email will say. And you bounce between, um, my gosh, you know, business deal conversations and planning conversations and market assessment and 
you know, trying to make sure you've got a good windshield for what's coming at us in the economy. And, and um, I just find that the way that my brain works, I like if, if things get monotonous for me, I have a hard time maintaining concentration. Um, and so this job just that doesn't happen very much. That is so me too. So. I'm right there with you. So now tell me how you chose your community and home. Well, so, um, <laughs> so <laughs> we actually, we actually just recently, uh, bought a, a new home here in, in, uh, the Scottsdale area. And so that one I'll, I'll put on pause for a second, but the, the house that, that we sold to move to our new home was one of the oldest houses in, in Phoenix. It, it was a late 1800s, really? um, you know, and if you know Phoenix, there wasn't much here in the, you know, sure. late 1800s. And I wasn't here, but I know. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you know, it's just, but, but there, there just weren't a lot of people living in Phoenix before air conditioning and, you know, those things, right? But Right. This this house was an old stagecoach stop, and when it the um, house itself was a stagecoach stop, it, it was. And so there were two old adobe buildings. One was where, if you were a passenger, you would go and sit inside and wait for the stagecoach to come. There was a fireplace, and and then the other was a storage uh, building for all the just you know the tack for the horses and feed and just stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, anyway, somewhere back around 1900, the guy who was hired by the federal government to build the canals in Phoenix that, that made life here really possible um, needed a home and there wasn't anywhere for him to live. And so he petitioned the, the government to deed him this old structure that, that had been the stagecoach stop before stagecoaches stopped running. And so he bought it or got it and then went and bought a bunch of old telegraph poles. So the telegraph system had become obsolete. So there were big piles of telegraph poles. And so he bought those and turned this um, old Adobe, you know, building and the little, little storage building next door, turned it into a home. And over the decades, it became uh, really a very well-known home. It's in the Arcadia neighborhood in Phoenix with beautiful Camelback Mountain views. And, um, you know, lots and lots of, you know, charitable events and things have taken place there over the years. And, and so we loved that home at a level that, that you know, we'd never experienced before just the the history of it. The sure. I, it's hard to explain. What were, what and, was what was the part about the home that really meant the most to you? The history, or were there sort of special features in that? Or well, it I think it was a combination of of, of the history, but it was also that we like think of what my work is, where every mm -hmm. day I'm around newly built stuff, and sure. so. And the, the dark side of that for me personally is that like, if someone invites me to their house and it's like, oh, look at my house, this isn't a beautiful house. And it's like, I'm just kind of taking it apart with my eyes. It's like, okay, that flooring was about $15 a square foot. And, you know, <laughs> oh, I see you did the upgraded, you know, 
um, right, right. aluminum clad wood windows and but I, I can't see it for what it is because I know too much I'm just in right. the business right and so this house um, because everything was was historic you know the windows had been handmade wood and had the counterweights and all that kind of stuff and um, so it it uh, it just it, I don't know. It's hard for me to even explain, but but to be in that house, it it just felt different. It it had a resonance. Well, it was different. It's unique and yeah. different from anything else out there. Yeah. So so you know, your next question might reasonably be then why did you move? And um, the the reality is we we reached a point where we realized that we were either going to have to do the the big big kind of remodel and renovation because right. the systems in the house had just gotten old enough that something was always going wrong you know or knock it down and oh. and just right which of course we ruled out it's like if this right. is ever knocked down it's not going to be by us so so we're not doing that and so we you know started investigating what it would take to do the renovation and the 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 awful part is it was somewhere between two and a half and three years of, of having to, to vacate the house mm. and just hang out until it's done. So these old adobe walls, if you think about in the desert, when they build with adobe, it's just basically dirt and water. And so you, it'll hold together while you build out of it. And then you use lath and, and plaster to, you know, but, to open up a wall, it, the dirt just starts to pour out. It, it's just basically just the only thing holding it up anymore is the plaster and the lath. Right. And so, yeah, I know. And so, so anyway, so we, we just realized we're at a stage of our lives where we are so busy and we're enjoying every moment that we have of, of kind of personal time that the idea of taking that on, the, the price was too high for us, just in terms of time. The price of time, right. Yeah. And so anyway, we were thrilled that... That it had to be hard to leave, though, I'm sure. It was. And the, the new buyer is just as passionate as we were about the house, so we're pleased that it's in good hands. That's so. neat. Well, yeah. you know, you're a brilliant leader yourself, um, and I'm sure you had people that inspired you along the way. Um, who are the people that were sort of your inspiration throughout your career? And again, in the industry, outside the industry, whoever that was. And I'd, I'd love to almost hear, you know, uh, one or two personally and professionally. So professionally, there, there are clearly two, two people and not more than two who've really been my mentors. And um, so one of them is, is, of course, Drew Brown at, here at DMB. He, you know, I think I've said this, but it, that, that the base wiring of this organization, that passion about thinking first about people and all of that, that really comes from Drew. He set the template. It drew me here and uh, a lot of other really great people. And so um, I have paid very, very close attention uh, to, to Drew and how he works, how he thinks. Um, the second, if I don't know if you would know uh, Charles Frazier, who was the developer of Hilton Head Island, um, the sure. Sea Pines Company back in the day. 
Um, and so my, my path crossed with Charles when I was part of the celebration project and it, it triggered uh, years of friendship and correspondence back and forth. And he was, he, he was an old world guy who wrote letters in the way that most of us are too busy to do anymore, but he would I love write. getting letters even today. Wow. Yeah, and just endlessly curious. So, so that, that impulse that I had to read and absorb information from all the disciplines, um, that was Charles Frazier, that was him. He, he, it was astonishing um, the breadth of, of information that he took in and his passion for uh, poetry, his, his uh, like I remember before I had ever once heard the words biophilic design or biomimicry. Right. He was, uh, you know, writing to me about it, telling me how important he believed it was and how I needed to learn more about that. And, um, you know, things like that. But, but his intellectual curiosity was a tremendous uh, inspiration for me. There's like a poignancy to the way that those guys think about community development that, that to me transcends just the land development or home building or, you know, those kinds of words. It, it's bigger than that, more meaningful, and it's more intentional. There, there's, a, there's an outcome that they're reaching for that goes way beyond just cashing in every time somebody buys another house. Uh, there, there's an objective beyond, you know, a, a, an outcome. And um, I don't know, I just find that to be so incredibly inspiring. And I know that it's not unique, by the way, to our industry. In every industry, there are people like that. You know, mm -hmm. you know I, I think if I were to answer it based on our conversation today, um, I would boil it down to one word that I continue to hear from you in sort of your own leadership, and that is meaningful. Be meaningful in everything you do. And it certainly is apparent in that, you know, all that you guys have created. So thank you so much for joining us. I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for joining us. This is Molly Carmichael, and I hope you enjoyed this series. Please hit like if you like today's broadcast and subscribe if you'd like to hear more from the best and the brightest in our industry. Take care, everyone, and I hope you join us again next time.